Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. My name's Richard Byram and joining me on the line again this week as usual is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter, as you'll know, is the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer and he also submits match reports and stories for our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post. Another busy week of Rugby League, uh, Peter, but I think there's only one place we can start this week and that's the appointment of Lee Radford as the Newcastleford Tigers coach. Yeah, not not a shock to anyone. Um, it's been rumoured for a long time that he'd be uh, he'd be the man cast up to to replace Daryl Powell. But it's I think it's good to to have the announcement done and dusted. Um, so everybody's got all that out of the way, and and Castleford can concentrate on this season. I I think it's a I think it's a decent appointment for them. I, I, looking on social media, it, there are some cast fans who, who aren't particularly happy about it. But you've got to be got to be realistic. Lee Radford is an experienced coach. He was in charge of um, Hull from 2013 until March last year when he when he got the boots. Um, in that time, they won the Challenge Cup twice back to back. There aren't many coaches available who've, who've got a record of winning trophies. Um, Casa bringing in somebody who knows Super League, um, who knows a bit about their own club. He's worked with some of the players at Cass and, as I say, has won trophies. So I think I think it's a decent appointment. It'll be interesting to see what he does with regards to the squad, whether he looks to tinker or whether he'll just take on the squad that Darrell Powell has put together. Um, obviously, there's speculation that Darren might look to take some of Castleford's players over to Warrington with him, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. But um, in his initial interviews, Lee's saying that he doesn't see any need for wholesale changes, um, and he's looking forward to bringing the young kids through. He's talking about playing um, an exciting brand of rugby, an attacking brand of rugby, moving the ball around, um, playing a bit was was what he said, and and. So far, he's making all the right noises. Um, he's a good bloke, very open and honest. He's a really good guy to deal with from a media point of view. And I, I wish him all the best. Obviously, it's going to be a while before we, we see him in action as a, a Castleford coach. He's not taking over until, well, effectively the end of this season or the start of pre-season for next year. So I suppose he'll sort of drop back into the um, into the shadows a little bit and, and just let Daryl Powell get on with um, guiding Castleford through this year and um, hopefully he can send them out on a he can go out on a, a high note but I think it's I think it, as I said I think it's a positive appointment um, and hopefully he'll he'll do good things at Cass Yes yeah, certainly uh, when we spoke the other week when it was announced that Daryl was leaving for Warrington I think we both said that we hoped that an English coach would be given the chance to take over at Cass, and that's happened. And as you say, with perhaps the possible exception of the former lead Drynos coach, Brian McDermott, there weren't any others really available at that level who, as you say, have won trophies in recent years and have had success at the club. And, uh, you know, Lee obviously has had a break from the game. You know, had some great success at Hull, and you probably think... Again, it's something we've discussed many times on here. Towards the end, he'd probably gone as far as he could with them and the break came, you know, was no real surprise and he'd be coming back refreshed and 
recharged and, and you know, some new ideas and so on. And I don't know Lee personally, but as you say, he always has come across well um, in the media and uh, he's always had a good relationship with our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post, obviously from his time at Hull. And, uh, you know, I think interesting times ahead, as you were saying about social media, I have a few friends um, on a website, a Facebook site, uh, who talk, you know, sort of rugby league gossip and so on. They said last weekend um, that Lee would be coming in. These guys, as we both know, there's no secrets in Castleford, is there? You know, it's a, <laughs> everybody. There's no such thing as a rumor because everything's fact. Because everybody knows you can't you can't keep anything secret there. And some of these guys, <clears throat> excuse me, were the same who were saying Daryl was going to Warrington before he actually did, and then they were saying Lee was coming to Cass before he actually did. And now, as you've just hinted there, you know, they're, they're saying that the likes of Paul McShane and Jake Truman will be following Daryl to Warrington. So it'd be interesting to see if they do bring up the hat trick. But uh, aside from that, you know, you know, some of those guys as well, as you touched upon, have said they're not over keen on the appointment and that uh, classic Cass have always been known as classic Cass, haven't they, for the, the sort of exciting brand of rugby they play. But... You know, I think Lee, they, they had some good teams over at Hull, didn't they? And they, they mixed it up with some powerful forwards and uh, some flair players like uh, Carlos Tuamavavi and Jake Connor, Albert Kelly, those types, you know. They can throw the ball around and they've always had some exciting wingers over at Hull who can finish things off. So I don't think it'll just be kind of one-up pack-based rugby. Um, you know, I think you'll look to carry on probably where he left off at Hull and you know, hopefully the Castleford fans will be pleasantly surprised in the long run by his appointment. Well, I think the thing is you've, you've got to give him a chance, haven't you? It, 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 he'll, he'll come in with, effectively with a, a clean slate. Let's let's give him an opportunity to, to stamp his mark on, on things. Um, he'll obviously... A lot of, of what he can do will be determined by finances, who we can bring in, who we can retain, that sort of thing. But the, he's, as I say, he's making all the right noises, talking about playing good rugby. He says he loves it out the out the jungle. He 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 thrives on the sort of the passion that Castleford fans show at home games, and I think he's a good fit for them. Um, it will be interesting to see how he gets on. He's been at Hull a similar sort of length of time to um, to Castleford's time. Uh, sorry, to Darrell's time at Castleford. And yeah. I think after a while, you do. I've said this on air a few times. After a while, as a coach, you do need to move on. You need a, a fresh challenge, and, and players need a different voice. Uh, I think that the circumstances of him leaving Hull weren't obviously weren't ideal. I think that thought they were pretty cruel to him the way that happened. But um, I'm sure he's, like I say, he's had a year out. I'm sure he's feeling refreshed and, and ready to go. And and let's just see what he can um, what he can do for Cassie's talking about the target being to, to break the ceiling and, and get through and match teams like Saints and Wigan, who are obviously the benchmark at the moment. And, um, and it'll be interesting to see if he can do that. He's 
So you won back-to-back Challenge Cup finals, first tour coach to um, to mastermind them winning at, at Wembley. Cass have never won the um, never won the championship, so that's a, a target for him that he'll probably regard in a similar fashion. And um, say good luck to him. And yeah. as you mentioned, it, it's it's pleasing that they've gone from for an English coach. Um, Obviously, there's always a temptation to, to look overseas nowadays, but we need to develop coaches in, in this country. And um, I said there weren't many with a, a track record of, of winning trophies available, but of course, as you mentioned, Brian McDermott, the most successful coach Super League seen, he's English, Sean Wayne, um, won Super League titles with Wigan. He's, um, he's English. I, would imagine he was maybe someone that um, that was on Castleford's radar as well. He said he wants to get back into club coaching after the World Cup. Been very interesting to see where he ends up. Um, Ditto Brian McDermott, who's obviously effectively been out of the game for a year now. It's over a year since Toronto Wolfpack played. Um, we want to see these English coach English coaches back in the game and, and let's hope that they get fixed up with a gig sooner rather than later. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm not quite sure who else really. I mean, there is a, li- a fantasy list you can drop of coaches around the world in any sport, isn't there? And so I wish you coached our team. But in these COVID straightened times in particular, um, you know, it's not always possible to, to get... You know, the creme de la creme, that's no disrespect to Lee, but, you know, obviously he fits within Castleford's budget and plan and uh, give the guy a chance. You know, all fans, myself included, you, you're always quick to write an appointment off and then uh, when it t- turns around, you, you're quick to, to get behind the guy. So, you know, let's let's give Lee a chance. I'm sure if Cass are playing at Wembley, in a year's time, then, you know, all the chat about, you know, his style of rugby or, you know, what he did at Hull or wherever else, it'll all be forgotten and uh, the fans will get behind him. And hopefully by then, I'm sure fans will be back in the grounds and, you know, we'll wish Lee all the best. I think, as you say, with the exception of possibly Brian McDermott, he's probably the best English guy available. I suspect, in my own personal view, Sean Wayne will probably somehow end up back at Wigan one day, uh, as, as seems to be often the case with with Wigan. Um, they always seem to cover their options well in advance. And you may, just my own personal view, you, you could well see Sean back there one day, particularly if he does really well in the World Cup with England. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting times anyway. Um, for Cass now and as you say everybody knows what Daryl's doing this season and next, everyone knows what Lee Radford's doing now this season and next and hopefully the two clubs can just concentrate now on what they need to do on the pitch and hopefully from Cass's point of view they can send Daryl out on a high yeah, Well I've, I've predicted on air that Cass will win the Challenge Cup this year so uh, <laughs> so yeah, we, we will we will see. I was at their game against Wigan last week, the first defeat of the season, and I, I thought Castleford showed a lot, a lot of good signs. Obviously, hampered by the fact that they only had one of their um, specialist halfbacks playing, but they they pushed Wigan hard, and and the game could have gone 
either way for um, for much of it. I don't think they're that far off the top sides at the moment. The the challenge for them, obviously, is to be consistent. You, you can't read too much into last year because it was such a disruptive season. But they, they made a similar start in 2020 and then faded very badly after um, after the coronavirus um, shut down. So they need to to prove that they can stay the course. But I, th- I think they're I think they'll certainly be in the the top four of um, of Super League. And as mentioned, I, I really fancy them for for a run all the way to um, to Wembley in the Challenge Cup. Yeah, maybe then Lee will come in and, and there'll be some more back to back Challenge Cup history then with with Cass winning with two different yeah. coaches in twelve months. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see with that, but. As you say, you know, we said last week we felt that the, the Wigan Cast game would be a tight one and so it seemed Wigan just got on top towards the end by the sound of it. I didn't actually see that game but I was following it on Twitter and I managed to see a few of the tries uh, through the uh, Betfred Super League uh, Twitter feed as the game was going on and uh, Bevan French, I think the guy we mentioned last week and Zach Hardacre, another, another player we looked at last week uh, both really in the thick of it for Wigan, weren't they? And they looked to be the ultimate difference between the two sides. But you say, cast with that particular team uh, pushing Wigan close does bode well uh, for further on in the season, you'd think. Yeah, I think they can take a, take a lot of confidence from it. Um, Wigan are a tough team to beat, though the, they didn't play particularly well f- for a lot of it, but managed to be in front at half-time, having been probably second best I thought for the for the opening 40 minutes and, and once they get in front they're very difficult to, to hold back but Cass did well to stay with them and um, it's a long season that's just one defeat I'm sure Cass will fancy the chances of um, putting that right when the, the teams meet again this um, this season Yeah and Then the other game you were at Peter last week Hull KR and Leeds and I know you were very no. disappointed with the, the way Leeds performed. And we said before that Hull KR might be turning into a bit of a dark horse team this season. Uh, they'd won the week before and they'd had a couple of tight games with Golden Point. Uh, but there was no need for that against Leeds, who who didn't seem to turn up at all in that game. No, no. It, um, Leeds were never in it, really. Never looked like likely to, to win the game. I've spoken to people in the Leeds camp who said that they were flat all week. Um, just, just after, I think after a huge effort with an understrength team in back-to-back matches against Saints and against Wigan, I think just getting everybody back up for another one was just proved um, a step too far. Really, the the players who came back clearly were were lacking match fitness. Um, the just generally across the board, there weren't many individuals who who could hold their hand up and say, well, yeah, I had a, I had a decent game. I thought King Vuni Yayawa went well off the um, off the bench in what was effectively his debut. He played at Saints, but he got knocked out after three minutes, so did, didn't have a chance to show what he could do. But he looked, um, he looked pretty good against Tulkar. Um, Brad Dwyer added some energy, like he always does. But it was... Um, and Mikuledski was good again, but but it it was a, a difficult evening. Leeds were second best in in every department. Um, they made far too many errors. 
They gave away far too many penalties, 11 penalties and six set restarts. Um, just just a very poor all-round performance. And the worrying thing for them, or one of the worrying aspects, is that though they got those five players back, Richie Myler's picked up a, a two-match suspension for questioning the integrity of the match official, um, which is just a self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Really, um, the player never wins in those those circumstances. Um, Cameron Smith missed the game with a, a nasty hamstring injury that's going to keep him out for a couple of months. And Alex Sutcliffe has his knee in a brace at the moment and probably isn't going to play this week at Huddersfield. So that's um, another three players ruled out. They're going to be without at least 10 against um, Huddersfield. And that's a, a massive game. For Leeds, they've lost four on the trot in all competitions now, won just once this season. Um, and really, they're, they're, if they're going to have any chance of getting into the playoffs, they're going to have to start picking up some wins soon. It's just with the team the way it is at the moment, with so many um, spine players, as, as Coach Richie Agar puts it, missing, it's just very hard to see where the wins are going to come from because the effort, although not so much last week, but the effort is there. Um, the defensive toughness and determination is there, but they're just not putting teams under pressure on on attack because they're, they're lacking all the pivotal players. So I think it's going to be tough for them. I think Huddersfield will fancy it this week. They've not won in Super League this year under their new coach, Ian Watson. Although, of course, they beat Lee in the... Um, in the Challenge Cup, but they'll have this one marked down as, as one they can win. I think it's going to be very tough. After this week, they've got a weekend off. It's Obviously, it's not great being out of the Challenge Cup, but they don't have a game when the Cup quarterfinals are being staged, so that might give a few players time to um, get over knocks and, and injuries, and they'll be able to have a couple of weeks building up to the next game, which is Wakefield at home. I think they're going to need that. Um, that'll obviously be another big game and a must-win game given the way Wakefield are going at the moment. Um, but these are these are tough times for Leeds. There's no doubt about that. But having said that, young players are gaining experience. They have got some key men back, the likes of Conrad Hurrell, Ash Hanley, um, players like that who will be um, better for having 80 minutes under the belt. And um, there's nothing they can do about it. Just have to get on with it. No, it is... It's tough at the moment, isn't it? There's, it's hard to see a way out of it. I mean, you feel that if, if they beat Huddersfield this weekend, then they could kick on and go on a run. But if Huddersfield were to beat Leeds, you know, then that, that might be just the catalyst they need and uh, leave Leeds really up against it. Uh, I see this week Ash Hanley signed a new deal for the Rhinos, which is one bit of positive news off the field. And uh, the other thing that caught my eye about that particular game is it's been played on a Sunday. We haven't had many Sunday games. I know with the COVID lockdown and obviously teams having to play at certain venues, particularly last season, it was easier from a TV and a playing point of view not to have Sunday games. But it'd be interesting to see how the how the game goes once fans come back and things start to open up a bit again. Wakefield and Cass always used to play on a Sunday, didn't they? Although that was like their preferred day for a home game. But uh, with TV and everything else now, the Vogue seems to be the Thursday and Friday nights and the occasional Saturday game. 
So it'd be interesting. Sunday afternoon was always rugby league's afternoon, wasn't it? And it sort of put pubs closed and people went to the game. But I wonder whether that will will come back or whether it will just be used when TV companies want the game playing on a Sunday now and, and clubs will choose a different time to play their home games. Well, it's Cass and, Cass and Wakey are two of the clubs who still have Sunday as their designated match day. But the problem is, obviously, in reality, they don't get to do that very often because of the demands of Sky TV. Yeah. There's also the problem of if the opposition has a game on Sky the next Thursday, they, they have the right to say, well, we're not playing on the Sunday. Right. So games can get moved for that reason, which is sort of nothing to do with, with the home team, yeah. really. Um, I, I, it's a rarity now that the that there are many games on a on a Sunday, um, and yeah, like I say, it'll be interesting to see what happens when when the spectators come back. At the moment, we've got games kicking off at all sorts of weird and wonderful times and, yeah. and days, um, particularly in the Championship, where they're they're all being live streamed. I mean, the Dewsbury played Bradford at. 7.30 on Sunday evening last week which you know isn't ideal but supporters aren't having to travel to the game and I don't think it makes that much difference to the players um, the game this week um, Wakefield's game against Catalines is a 6 o'clock kickoff again which is a, a little bit odd but um, you're not inconveniencing the fans too much like it might be difficult for some people to watch the, the stream of the game but my, my big wonder about when the supporters come back is will they still will they still want to turn up to games it's um, very it's easy to um, to break that sort of habit very hard to get back into it yeah. again um, so I think that will be a concern for, for a lot of clubs just you know the, there's a school of thought that Fans will be so desperate for um, to see live rugby that they'll come flocking back. But there's another school of thought that says um, the opposite would be true, that they'll have got out of the habit and they'll have got other things to do with the time and the money. So it'll be interesting to see which of those is, is proved right. Um, I think it'll probably, probably be a little bit of both, to be honest. But everybody's just so desperate to get fans back into the stadiums that's in sight now it's about three weeks away um, and it's going to make a, a huge difference to everybody the the players will admit it's not the same playing um, playing rugby in front of empty um, an empty stadium I think the quality of the of entertainment will go up when we get the fans back and and it'll just, the sport will just be so much better for it and I personally can't wait yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've had a few conversations with sports fans, not just rugby league, but sport in general, about how it might be after the grounds reopen and the fact that some people may well, well, at the most simplest level, may not be able to afford to go to every game anymore, uh, depending on their circumstances uh, post-COVID uh, with employment and health and so on. But also the fact that you know, people have got out of the habit of, of going to games. Rugby league may not be too bad in terms of the fact that even to support your team away, it's not too far to go. But fans might still think, well, 
I'm going to trail to Wigan on a Thursday night over the M62 if I can watch it on the telly, which was happening anyway before the lockdown. And uh, But more may th- feel along those lines, or they may just pick and choose the games and go to the big ones and, um, you know, n- maybe not pay to walk up to to other games. But I suppose the flip side of that could be that some people may think, well, you know, the clubs haven't had my money for a long time, I'll get behind them. And the fact that my team's playing on a Friday night means that I can also go and watch Batley on a Sunday, for example, and, and get a double fix of rugby league in a weekend. And, you know, hopefully that will be the case, that the fans will stick with the game. As you say, it's very easy, no matter what thing it is in life, to get out of the habit of doing something. And once you have, it's very easy not to bother getting back into it. Um, but, um, you know, hopefully as things settle down and, and the fixture list spreads out a bit more and the kickoff times become more realistic. I mean, I think I noticed this week Warrington's game's at one o'clock on Saturday afternoon, isn't it? Uh, which is another odd yeah. one. Uh, but obviously because the fans are not there, that you know, I assume that it's it's a suitable fixture and, you know, you're not really inconveniencing people as such at this stage. They say some might be lost to the to watching it live. Uh, you know, or on the streams or whatever, but overall, uh, you know, it's just a matter of getting another game in, in effect. And just going on from there, just to have a quick look at at Wakefield, Peter, I thought they competed well against Hull last week, but again, just like that little bit of finishing touch, they created a lot of chances, but but blew a lot of chances as well. And um, also the the incident involving um, Beretta Faramino and, Max Jowett, um, you know, 10 minutes in the sim bin, really and truly, he nearly took his head off. And you, you look at that compared to some of the other sendings off that we've seen, our sin binnings and suspensions. Um, the Leeds player the other week who got four games uh, during the Challenge Cup match. And you just wonder, really, that looked more than a two-game ban to me anyways. Both as a an obser- as a fan and an observer, you know, it looked a really dangerous challenge that could have caused Jowett serious injury. Of course, he wasn't fit to come back anyway. And as Chris Chester since pointed out, it's somebody else who will get the benefit of him not playing for the next couple of matches. It won't uh, it won't help Wakefield, who, you know, as I say, played again without it against fourteen for ten minutes, but then you know, all got their full complement back and. Scarred late on to win, so who knows what would have happened if they'd had to play most of the second half a man down. Your your rugby union background coming out there. Sorry, yes, I did. My apologies. (laughs) I realised as soon as I said it. (laughs) Apologies Um, there, yeah. That's a a severely punishable offence, but you know what I meant. They were a man down anyway. (laughs) Um, I, I didn't see the game because I was on the other side of all watching Leeds get clobbered um, I have seen the tackle and from the footage I've seen it looked it looked a bad one I, I cannot for the life of me understand why that is a yellow card and a two match ban when for example Zainta Tavano is a red card and a four match ban I just don't understand no. why there is such a huge discrepancy the Tessavano tackle didn't cause an injury. The um, the one by the whole player did, as we've mentioned. Same referee, which is 
which is interesting. I notice, um, yeah, the same the same referee. So you've got to again. It just raises a question of consistency. Yeah, doesn't it? Consistency on the field and consistency at the um, at the match review panel. I don't want to don't want to see players banned. Any players banned. Obviously, sometimes they deserve it for for particularly bad tackles um you you want to see the best players on the field all the time but you know that the, there should be there should be some consistency as you mentioned wakefield were competitive against Hull, and you never know maybe they'd have they'd have won the game if they'd been against um against 12 men for the yes. um, for the, <laughs> the second second half you never know that Chris Chester's absolutely right that somebody else gets the benefit of um, of the suspension, um, which wasn't really the case in in the Saints Leeds game because he was sent off. So Saints were playing against um, twelve men for for thirty five minutes. I've always said that if a player gets a suspension, one match in that suspension should be against the team. Um, that the offence is committed against. Yes, in other have. words, um, Fremo shouldn't be allowed to play against um, against Wakefield the next time the sides meet. Then at least Wakefield would get some um, benefit from it, if you like. But um, it's an old argument. I, I've been covering rugby league quite a while, um, and I can remember ever since I started in the dim, distant days in the 1990s, um, one of the big topics of conversation was always disciplinary. Rugby league never seems to get it right. Um, it's just it's just an ongoing talking point, really. Um, I can understand, totally understand Wakefield's frustration, but um, you know they've they've lost Jowett a couple of times with head knocks this year. They've had Tom Johnson had to stand down because of head knocks. You can understand why Chris Chester would be upset about it but I think he judging by the scoreline and, and the reports I've read of the game he, he could be com, um, comforted by the fact that his his team were competitive against Hull yes, who were exactly. a good side and, and are in good form um, so you know, maybe they've taken a step forward they need to maintain that against Catalans this week which isn't going to be easy Catalans are another good team and they're on the back of a a surprise walloping at home by Warrington, so they'll be fired up to, to bounce back. But Wakefield, like Leeds, they need to get some some wins on the board um, sooner rather than later. So let's hope it's this week. Yes, definitely. Um, I, just, I think you know I saw the game and Wakefield did compete well and they scored a, a couple of nice breakaway tries again. Um, but just that final pass again was just missing and. Obviously, Jacob Miller out as well now, and just couldn't quite finish off all the possession that they had, and it was a bit frustrating. I could imagine that Chris was doubly frustrated both by the fact that they went so close against Hull, having, you know, they did compete in the second half. One of the complaints, obviously, we've had this season is Wake have played the first half, and then the other teams run amok in the second half. Well, that certainly wasn't the case the other night, and you know, with a bit more luck, and certainly if they'd been ascending off. They might just have done enough to win that game. 
And, and when you consider as well, uh, regarding the sending off and disciplinary in general, that you know Richie Myler gets two games for saying something to the ref, which he shouldn't do that, but you can do that in the heat of the moment. And rugby league is a sport in particular which has always prided itself on the discipline that players show and and respect that the players show towards the referee. And you know it, it's probably right that he receives some sort of punishment, but does saying something to the referee and almost taking somebody's head off uh, really merit the same sort of punishment? Or if it does, then so surely the um, high tackle should should be worth double or triple what, what the player said. But uh, again, as you say, it's something both myself and you have discussed on here in the office and life in general and with other people. And there never seems to be a straight and consistent rule uh, what happens with one player doesn't happen with another or there seems to be a crackdown on mm. certain aspects of ill-discipline for a while while others are allowed to go and then it moves on to cracking down on something else which the media may be highlighting, for example. And yeah. it, it, it's just frustrating all around. It, it, as it happens this week, it was my team and Wakey, but the other week, as we as we saw, it was Leeds and next week it could be Saints or Wigan. It, it's not really so, so much about that as the fact that these inconsistencies are still happening. As you say, another tough game for Wakey this week against Catalans. Maybe they can catch them cold uh, with Catalans having lost. Um, but again, a, a tough ask um, for Wakey again this week. And just finally to mention that... Sorry, sorry Rich, I was just going to say on the, on the Richie Myler thing, um, I understand where you're coming from on, on that... Um, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? I, I wouldn't want to get to a situation like in certain other sports where you, you see players openly swearing and shouting at referees, and nothing's done about it. I, I don't think we should we should go down that route in rugby league. Um, I think there has to be some sort of sanction. Milo was simbined for ten minutes. Um, you you got to think. Well, he's you know. Perhaps that's perhaps that's enough. Yeah. Um, two two games. It's a it's a harsh punishment. Again, let's see if they're consistent about it. I've no faith that they will be. Yeah. But um, you know, if maybe if if the match review panel say if you question the integrity of the match official, which is what um, Rich is alleged to have done, um, so it's not sort of swearing at him. Um, it's too much ban, and then impose that on everybody who does it. Yeah. Um, then fair enough. It it will you would imagine eradicate it, but there has to be that. Um, there has to be that consistency. My my feeling is, you know, he got ten minutes. Um, that was punished in the game because um, okay, I scored while he was he was off the field. Um, you, I think perhaps that was was enough. But as I say, if if they decide to to crack down on it and and give that punishment out to to every player, then I, I wouldn't have any complaints about that. But it has to be every player, not just um, yeah. not just the occasional um, the occasional scapegoat. I think um, you know that, that is the big thing. There has to be consistency. Among the um, among the review panel, um, I think it's difficult issue really with 
um, was something like that. Because how do you how do you defend um, yourself against an allegation like that? Really, it's um, it's the referee's word against the player's word, yeah. um, unless the game's televised and you, you've got someone who can lip read or it's picked up on a, a player on the referee's mic or something. You know, you, there's no definitive proof over over what's been said, so it's a it's a tricky one, really. Um, and I, I, I say you, you just you can't have a situation now where players are, are shouting and carrying on at match officials. That just gets to be gets to be anarchy. Yes, um, no, I agree with that. Yeah, the rules have to be applied equally. I think that's that's the bottom line. I mean, just just thinking on from there while you've been talking, Peter. Maybe they could do what what they would have done in the old days, perhaps, and and call Richie Myler and and his and his captain over and say, "Look, I've heard him say this, and I'm not having it, and he's sin binned, and you know it'll be mentioned in my post match report, not just Richie, but anybody." And then maybe there's a a third party involved. I knew. Well, the referee said to me that. He said that to him. The player denies it. The referee said he said it, and he's put in his report. And take it from there. But as you say, all sorts of things are said in in the heat of the moment in the game. And I, I don't want to see a situation at all where referees are abused. I think um, both codes of rugby have always had a good reputation for respecting the referee. And there's always been kind of on-field punishments as well, hasn't there, for anybody who maybe steps out of line or swears or says what a load of rubbish or whatever to a decision, you know, you, you soon find yourself being marched down the field or you did do. But as you say, again, it's it's how you, how you prove it and, and maybe that's a way around it. Maybe if you, you know, called the captain of the team over and said, you know, this is what I believe your players said to me and this is the punishment I'm taking or handing out, should I say. Um, but yeah, uh, again, just, it's the consistency that we we want to see, isn't it? That's the thing. It, it is, yeah. Just just one final thing on on the disciplinaries. It, I'm uncomfortable about the fact that punishments are are, all, are handed out without hearing um, without hearing a defence as well. The match review panel issues a charge and a, a penalty notice. In this case, um, Milo was charged with grade. See, I think it was questioning um, yeah. the authority, the integrity of a match official, but he he had no opportunity to um, to state his case. If he'd if if he'd appealed or he he challenged the verdict that was handed out and gone to the disciplinary panel, then he would um, he would have would have run the risk of the suspension being increased. The same for Primo at, at Hull. I don't like the idea of, of people being found guilty without having an opportunity to um, to mount a defence. I think that's another flaw in the system. But um, well, there we go. Yeah, and, and it's a very good point. And it's you know, if we're talking about being open and people being accused of things, then by the same token, they should have the right to defend themselves, or even to say, "Yes, I did say that, and I'm very sorry. I won't do it again." <laughs> You know, or, or whatever, yeah. you know, uh, whatever side of the coin it comes down on, you know, but to just sort of find, find someone guilty in absentia, as it were, uh, do, doesn't sit very well. And uh, as you say, it, it doesn't 
have an open, you know, allow for an open process and, and for the fans and for everybody else to see, you know, what, what did he say? Why did he say it? Why was he punished? Why is he missing our next two games? Well, apparently he said something to the referee and that's all we know. And again, I think, you know, involving a third party like the captain in it may, may be another way around it, you know, or, or giving the player a chance to have his say. Or her say, indeed, uh, you know, yeah. with the game. Yeah. Anyway, Peter, I think uh, some very interesting stuff there on the disciplinary and the games in general. Um, just a, a little reminder, Castleford are away at Salford this week. I don't know if we mentioned that in amongst chatting about Cass, but uh, they'll be fancying their chances of a, getting back on the winning horse there, I would think. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is they play Salford again the following week in the uh, Challenge Cup quarter-final. Yeah. So, um, funny how often that happens, actually, in the Challenge Cup. It is, there yeah. are back-to-back fixtures. But, um, but yeah, I would I would think Castle fancy the chance of winning both things. Yeah. OK, then. Well, I think we'll leave it there for this week, Peter. Thanks again for all your comments. And uh, just my weekly reminder that you can get the very latest rugby league news from our website, yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk. Uh, Peter's own Twitter feed at Peter Smith YEP and my own at Richard Byron YEP, as well as the at YEP Sports Desk Candle and at YP Sport. This podcast is also available to listen to on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple, as well as via our websites and certain rugby league stories, which you may find it attached to. All it's left for me to do is say thanks again to everyone for listening. Thanks again to Peter for his comments and we'll hopefully be back soon.